All right, just 54 days. You are the ultimate jury. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program as we get closer and closer and closer. Guess what? You're going to start feeling that, that, that feeling, that nervousness. You know, this actually fits into, like, the whole narrative that the government, they're going to take away your fear. They're going to provide free pre-K through college education, a guaranteed government job, guaranteed government wage, guaranteed government vacations, guaranteed government uh, healthy food, guaranteed government health care, guaranteed government retirement. Why would you put your faith, your hope? And, oh, finally, I don't have any stress in life anymore. All my fears are gone. Their government's going to take care of me. Um, that promise has been made, and that's why I spent so much time going over the Democrats' 2020 agenda, live free or die, and then followed that up with socialism and its history of failure. These promises have all been made before. You know, maybe, I, I don't know why, you know, everybody thinks stress. We always think of too much stress or, or in, in people's lives. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Stress, actually, I would argue natural stress, the stress is a good thing because the natural stress of having to dig deep inside of yourself to find whatever talents God put in there is it, it, it helps you to be, live a more full life. You know, one of the reasons you hear about these trust fund kids and they have so much trouble in life is all the stress is taken away from them. You know, you can give your kids too much. I've been in the habit lately of telling my kids they're not getting much from daddy. Get out to work, find out what you're good at, what you love, and and find a way to, you know, serve other people. Because think about this. Our country was built on what? The idea, our founding document, our Declaration of Independence, the one that Joe doesn't remember, that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their, the thing, the thing, you know, no, endowed by the creator of everything. That would be God, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. Life, liberty, the pursuit of, life, liberty, Levin, right? right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, Okay, now that doesn't guarantee you college education and loan forgiveness and guaranteed government healthy food, jobs, vacations, <clears throat> and, and health care. By the way, what has government ever done right? But then you, if, you t- if you take the idea that God, the creator of everything, you know, endowed by it, our creator, um, that's natural rights, meaning rights come from God. They don't come from man. They come from God. We're created by God, a creator. You know, Thomas Paine, the great pamphleteer, 1776, you know, were the guides and dictates of human conscience irresistibly be obeyed. There'd be no need for any other lawgiver. He then goes into, okay, that not being the case, governments need to be formed to protect other, to, to have one group of people, good people, protected from those that choose evil. And that's the story of mankind, the choice between good, the choice between good and evil. And anyway, it's um, it, it's simple stuff. Then if you look at, OK, well, I, I, my parents didn't have any money and grew up very poor. And my mom, the 16 hour shifts all my life growing up in a prison, 
prison guard and my dad working as a waiter on weekends and a family court probation guy. And I mean, you know, they, they never took vacations. They didn't buy new cars back in the day. They did later in life, but they weren't, you know, it was cheap new cars, not expensive new cars. And anyway, but they did it so that they could send, you know, me and my sisters to, to private school, Catholic schools, 12 years. I did learn one thing. The Latin derivative for education means to educate, to bring forth from within. The subtitle, Live Free or Die, Live Free or America Dies. I put it in Latin because that was the working title of the book the whole time. All right, so if you couple rights come from God and that bring forth from within, it means you don't cram it into somebody an education, which I think a lot of educators make a big mistake on and have them regurgitate like parrots, you know, whatever they have memorized or put on a cheat sheet. Sorry, professors, that still happens is my guess. Um, but, but you know, what, what are the God-given talents? Now, if you like me, I believe every man, woman, and child is created by the same God. I believe that with all my heart, mind, and soul. And if you believe that, I think most Americans do. We're founded on Judeo-Christian principles. You know, I, you know, I hate this idea that everyone thinks the Christians are perfect. It's actually just the opposite. Christians admit that they're not. And they admit that they want help, and they admit they're, they're, they're saying they want to be better. That's what Christians are to me. Um, and maybe there are you know, people that live very devout lives. I guess they would be called saints. I'm not a saint. Um, but you know, putting it all aside, so if, it's, if, if rights come from God and God's talents are placed within us, and we have then in life choices, a propensity to good or evil. I mean, you meet good people in life. What do you call a murderer? What do you call a, a pedophile? They would be evil. What do you call, you know, people that are, are violent and that? Okay, that, that's, that's human evil. We lost 100 million souls the last century alone. Human evil. Governmental created often human evil in the form of fascism or Nazism or communism or more recently uh, radical Islamism. And so... The idea is, but you, but you don't have guaranteed results. You're, you know, endowed by your creator with inalienable rights from him, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Now, I would argue that if you don't have the natural stress within yourself to dig deep, so you got to first put food on the table and a roof over your head and a jacket on your back, that you're, you, you, you stop living at some point because you don't have the natural stress that causes people to dig deeper within themselves so that they can bring the best out of them. Now, whatever your talents are, if special, unique for you, we all have our own fingerprint, right? Bible will tell you that the hairs on your head are counted. Okay, so whatever your fingerprint is, uh, that's unique and special to you. It's kind of odd that everybody has a unique fingerprint. When you think of all the billions of people in the world, it's kind of freaky, right? All right, but if you believe, as I do, that there's a creator, you don't have to if you don't want to. I don't really give a rip. It's your life. You decide. But if you believe, as I do, um, I'm not proselytizing. I'm just saying what I believe. You know, then, okay, finding those talents, whatever it is, then you serve other people. By creating goods and services that people want, need, and desire. Now, maybe to get to the talents that you want to serve people with, maybe to get there, first you have to make a stopover like 
kind of I did, which is the dishwasher stopover or the, you know, the short order chef stopover or the busboy stopover or the waiter stopover or the bartender stopover or the house painter stopover or the hang wallpaper hanger stopover. And, the you know, the, the guy that did tile and roofing and 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 you find an opportunity to ultimately save enough money that you can then pursue whatever it is you want. And some people never get that chance because they get locked in, they get married, they have kids early, whatever. They got responsibilities at that point. They got to stick with the job they've that they got. So my point is, but all of this can only happen in freedom. There is a an appeal by some in government. Now we have to ask yourself. If you really believe in the Biden, Bernie, Bolshevik, Bernie manifesto, 125 pa- 20 uh, or 10 pages of pure socialism, you got to ask yourself, well, where did it work in history? Well, it didn't work in China. Mao, tens of millions of people starved to death. The former Soviet Union, Bolshevik revolution, that the promise was that we're going to take from these these elite rich people and we're going to redistribute it to the workers sound familiar well it should well that ended up in a disaster because even you know they were the biggest producers of wheat they needed wheat from us because of the poverty because nobody if you guaranteed everything felt like working anymore there was no need to work anymore it's a new green deal isn't it whether you're willing or unwilling to work you still get everything for free everything's provided Okay, well, how did it work out in the Soviet, former Soviet Union states of Hungary, Bulgaria, uh, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Poland, East Germany? Not very well there either. And the same, always the same promises. Everything's going to be free. Your government's going to provide free, free, free. And then what happens is you, you believe the lie. They don't fulfill the promise. They consolidate power. You give up your freedom and now it's a matter of degrees of how much freedom you've given up in exchange for false promises. Now, then you could take it to more modern day Venezuela or, or Cuba. How did those promises work out? Well, Fidel's murdering maniac dictator didn't work out with Hugo Chavez either in in Venezuela, did it? Ask Jorge Ramos. He's he filmed people eating out of garbage cans or garbage trucks. Well, okay, so well, let's grade the governments we have here that are the most liberal, the, the ones that believe the most in redistributionism and socialism. Okay, that would be cities like New York and states like New York and Chicago and state like Illinois or Seattle, Washington or Portland, Oregon or L.A., San Francisco, California. Okay, how is how are they doing in their fundamental job in government, which is to keep people safe and secure and and preserve law and order i'd give all of those cities and states a big fat f they failed people now life liberty pursuit of happiness well if you live in these cities how do you pursue happiness when you can't walk outside your door without the fear of getting a bullet in a stroller like they had in a park in new york you know, or the little girl that died in Atlanta that was eight years old because her mom made a wrong turn into a chop zone or the summer of love zone in in out there with this lunatic mayor out there in, in Seattle where Horace Lorenzo Anderson Jr. died in, in the summer of love zone or the madness that's been unfolding in Portland and elsewhere around the country. OK, they failed. 
How did they do in these big cities with education? We spend per capita, more per capita per student than any other industrialized country. Well, all those big cities run by liberal Democrats for decades. Guess what? They get another big fat F. City of Baltimore. How do you have 13 public high schools and not a single kid, not one, is proficient in math? And that, that, that's the third highest state city spending for kids in, in, in the country. A spectacular fail. How did Obamacare? They're going to give you health care again. Here we go. How did keep your doctor work out for millions of Americans? Millions lost their doctors. Keep your plan. Millions lost their plans. On average, average family saves $2,500 per family per year. No, we're all paying over 200% more, and there's nearly 40% of the country that has one Obama-Biden-Care exchange option. How's that retirement thing called Social Security that you paid in your whole life working out? Oh, that money's in a lockbox. Really? No, they raided the lockbox. It's gone. They squandered. They spent your lockbox money. Just like Medicare, same thing. How'd they do with the VA hospitals? Another unmitigated disaster. Really? You want to put your faith and hope in, in that? Because that's what's at stake. Versus capitalism, the greatest wealth-creating system on earth, and a constitutional republic that allows America to right wrongs, correct injustices. We've come far. We still have far to go. Nobody's denying that. But we could do it. That's all on the ballot in 54 days. Liberty, freedom, capitalism, or the false hope, lies, and loss of freedoms of socialism. Live free or die, America. You are the ultimate jury, not me. I have one vote in New York. My vote's useless. All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the program. You know, um, Devin Nunes is coming up today. He actually did something really cool, and it's only like five bucks. Remember, we talk about the great pamphleteer Tom Paine, and he came out with his own pamphlet. It's, it's you can get it on Amazon. I think it's 10 bucks, but the, he has a link we're going to put up on Hannity.com. You can get it for five countdown to socialism. And it talks about this nexus between the liberal Democratic Socialist Party, the mob and the media and all these social media corporations, you know, the one shadow banning that lied to us. And no, we don't we, we treat conservatives equally. They're full of crap, but it exposes, you know, the, I mean, look, look at how many times they, they can't even make up their own words. In other words, whatever the Democratic Socialist Party talking point is, the mob and the media just regurgitates them. You have state-run newspapers. You have state-run network television, ABC, NBC, CBS. You have state-run cable networks, fake news, CNN, and, and MSDNC, the conspiracy theory channel. And they all conspire. And they all lied to America for all these years, and they've never been held accountable. Um, A lot of brushback now on Bob Woodward. You know, Woodward has not exactly had the, well, most pristine career. (coughs) Bob Casey, CIA interview. Just just saying. We'll continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, President uh, just started. We're going to literally be back just a few minutes. We'll run the whole thing here of um, him now uh, giving a press conference. Uh, Let's uh, listen in. You too. That's good. Well, that's fine. Thank you very much. In the past four months, we've added 10.6 million jobs. 
including 643 manufacturing jobs and 658,000 construction jobs. It's far beyond expectations. We've experienced the smallest contraction of any Western nation, meaning we've been affected less than any other nation, Western nation, and probably almost, I think you can put us in, I just saw some numbers, I think you can put us into just about any category anywhere. And the fastest recovery by far, and that's anywhere. Nobody's recovered like we're recovering. If we followed Joe Biden's strategy, we'd shut down the entire country after just having set records on growth. And we also did have tremendous retail growth, as you probably noticed. We're witnessing the fastest labor market recovery from an economic crisis in our history. By contrast, the Obama-Biden administration had the slowest, weakest, and worst recovery in American history, as you know. We continue to make progress in our fight against the China virus. New weekly cases have declined by 44 percent since July. Deaths declined by 20 percent compared to just last week. It's going down very rapidly, really rapidly. This is in contrast to nations in the European Union, which have recently experienced a sharp increase in cases. They're having a very big spike over there. We're, we're hopefully beyond our spike. We'll see, but we're doing very well all over our country. In the past five weeks, per capita cases doubled in France, surged to over 300 percent in Spain, which I've been hearing about and speaking to some of the leaders of Spain, and they are having a hard time and increased more than 400 percent in Italy again. And as you remember, I stopped. I put a ban on people coming in from Europe after the ban I imposed on China, Wuhan. But uh, because of Wuhan primarily, because that area was very infected, we, uh, we also put a ban on Europe. So Spain is uh, being heavily impacted, France, and 400 percent in Italy. Yesterday, European nations experienced 50 percent more deaths than the United States. And you don't hear these things. You don't hear these statistics, but the United States has done really well. I'm very proud of everybody that worked on this. And I really do believe we're rounding the corner, and the vaccines are right there, but even not even discussing vaccines and not discussing therapeutics, we're rounding the corner. We already have therapeutics out there, by the way, which are having, obviously, a very big impact, because you look at that, you look at the, the way people are recovering. It's so much better than in the past, before we knew about the disease and had anything to fight the disease. On schools, as part of our science-based approach, we want schools to safely open and stay open. Children are extremely low risk of complications from the virus, less than 0.2 percent, 0.2 percent of the coronavirus deaths have occurred in those under the age of 25, and most had underlying conditions where there was a problem. There's no substitute for in-person learning. According to a recent study, student progress in math decreased by half, and using online education compared to uh, in-person or campus education. So online, we think of so many things online and how great it is. There's nothing like being in the classroom. That's what we've learned from this whole ordeal. According to the CDC, school closures disproportionately harm low-income and minority children, as well as those with disabilities. 
And I think you see some slides behind me that are very uh, new, very current. It's also crucial for colleges and universities to stay open. And we hope that they do indeed stay open. And we want to see Big Ten football. We hope it's coming back. We have a lot of the uh, colleges that we're talking about. They want to come back. We hope that Michigan agrees. We hope that, uh, and I know the governor will have a lot to say about it. We hope she approves it. But uh, we have a couple that Maryland's another one. We hope. The governor puts a little pressure on so that we can have it. But uh, I have a feeling they may do it. They may do it without having everybody. But I think they're going to have maybe Michigan, maybe Maryland. We have a couple of, of uh, states that might not participate. But people are working very, very hard to get Big Ten football back. And I'm pushing it. And it'll be a great thing for our country and uh, the players. And the coaches want to do it really badly. The players are missing. They only have so many years of this, and the players are missing a big opportunity, including the chance in some of the cases to have some of the best players, college players in our country. And they want to get into the NFL, and they want to make money in the NFL, and they're not going to be able to do that too easy if you don't get to see them play. It's much safer for students to live on campus, and low-risk young people would rather than uh, the alternative, it's uh, the alternative is no good than going home, spreading the virus to high-risk Americans. It's uh, they want to be on campus. They want to go back to school, and the parents want them back in school. Maybe more so than they want to be back in school, and they want to back safely, and they want to go back safely. But they have to go back. Based on the recent data from more than 20 colleges, not a single student who tested positive for the virus has been hospitalized. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of students. Not one has been hospitalized. As we continue to follow the science-based approach to protect our people and vanquish the virus, Joe Biden continues to use the pandemic for political gain. Every time I see him, he starts talking about the pandemic. He's reading it off a teleprompter. I'm not allowed to use a teleprompter. Why is that, Phil? They ask questions, and he starts reading the teleprompter. He says, move the teleprompter a little bit closer, please. I don't know. I think if I did that, I'd be in big trouble. I think that would be that would be the story of the year. When I took early action in January to ban the travel and all travel to and from China, the Democrats and Biden in particular called it xenophobic. You remember that? Joe was willing to sacrifice American lives to placate the radical left, open border extremists. And we saved tens of thousands of lives, probably hundreds of thousands of lives. And we saved millions of lives by uh, doing the closing and now the opening the way we did it. Joe's decision to publicly attack the China ban proved he lacks the character or intelligence or instinct to do what is right. Now, Biden's launched a public campaign against the vaccine, which is so bad, because we have some vaccines coming that are incredible. Uh, Scott was telling me about uh, some of the things that are happening, and it's very exciting, Scott. Thank you for being here. But uh, you don't want to have anything having to do with the political purposes, being an anti-vaxxer. You don't want to be talking about the vaccines in a negative way, especially when you see the statistics that we're starting to see. They're incredible, actually. Uh, Biden's perfectly happy to endanger the lives of other people by 
doing something that he thinks is going to help him politically because his polls are getting very bad. They're getting very shaky. Uh, this was an election that was going to be very easy, very quick, and then the China virus came in, and I had to go back to work politically. Unfortunately, I had to devote more time politically than the other things we do, which are very important for our country. But I had to go back to work, and it looks like uh, looks like we're going up very rapidly, uh, more rapidly than the media wants to admit. And Biden's had to go out. He's gotten out of his basement, and he's working. Let's see what happens. But. Uh, we got to talk about how great these vaccines are, if in fact they're great. And I think you're going to see numbers that are going to be very, very impressive. The approach to the virus is a very unscientific blanket lockdown by the Democrats. That's what they're talking about, which takes all of these incredible statistics records and it throws them out the window. Now, they did say it would be based on the recommendation of the experts, but you know, whether expert or not, uh, we're not doing any more shutdowns. We did the shutdown, and now we're doing the opening, and there won't be any more shutdowns. There could be a little section, a small section. We have a breakout, but we're not talking about shutdowns like they were talking about, depending on experts. We're not going to be doing that. The uh, swine flu was a disaster. You remember when not nearly as deadly, not a, not the same world, but when Joe Biden was vice president, his failed approach to the swine flu was disastrous. He called it, he called it N1H1. It's actually H1N1. You know, you remember the H comes before the N, so it's sort of easy to remember, right? But Joe, Joe always calls it the opposite way, but it was, call it the swine flu. It was disastrous. And his own chief of staff said that when Biden helped managed the swine flu in 2009, they, quote, did everything possible wrong. And 60 million Americans got H1N1 in that period of time. This is a quote from his chief of staff. And it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualties events. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right, because we did everything wrong. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And now he's telling us how to manage. He can't manage himself. 270,000 Americans were hospitalized during this attack. The outbreak was so rampant that the Obama administration told states to stop testing. We don't want any tests because they don't want to show all of the things that test show. By the way, we're setting a record on testing. Our testing is at a level that nobody's ever seen before. We're substantially greater than the second country, which is India, by the way, which has 1.5 billion people, but we're 50 million tests ahead, 50 million ahead. And uh, they ordered the CDG to stop counting tests and stop counting cases, and then left us a depleted stockpile, which is what I inherited. I inherited a depleted a very badly depleted stockpile. In other words, Biden's record demonstrates that if he had been in charge of this very serious, highly, highly contagious epidemic or pandemic, the China virus, countless more Americans would have died. And if we didn't do what we did, and I say it all the time now because uh, the media likes to belittle. What we've done has been incredible. Now you can look at Europe and you can look at other places and you can start comparing. Biden is weak on China. 
Yesterday, it was revealed that a fund partly owned by Joe Biden's son, Hunter, facilitated the sale of a Michigan auto parts producer to a leading Chinese military defense contractor. You don't want to write about that, do you? Biden spent his entire career selling Michigan jobs to China. Now the Biden family is selling out our country directly to the Chinese military, which has to do with this company that Hunter, here we go with Hunter again. He didn't have a job. Now all of a sudden he's selling companies from Michigan to China. China's military got American manufacturing jobs and the Biden family got paid a lot of money. And I say it, if Joe Biden ever got elected, China will own America. They will, they will own America. Finally, I can announce with great pride that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will be departing this evening on a historic trip to Doha. That's Qatar for the beginning of intra-Afghan peace negotiations. We've been negotiating with them for quite some time, getting along with them. Uh, moved a lot of soldiers out. Uh, I got a report this morning that there's been nobody uh, killed in Afghanistan since early February. It's a long time. All right, that was the president's uh, full response, uh, a beatdown and a timeline. It, frankly, uh, we have a lot to play later in the program today about Joe Biden, the Democrats, his, his lead guy, Ron Klain. He did say that, uh, oh, yeah, we did everything. We did. The Biden-Obama administration did everything wrong with H1M1. We're just lucky it was not a mass casualty event. You imagine that? Imagine if uh, that was said by Donald Trump. Uh, Joe didn't say anything about PPE or about social distancing or about the Defense Production Act or ventilators all through January and February. We all know what he said on the day of the travel ban. We have his complete timeline, and it's repulsive. He's now, he's now actually saying he sounded the alarm. He did not. He's a liar. Been lying about everything these days. Um, anyway, he's been caught lying to the American people. Oh, there's 6,107 deaths in the military. No, there were seven. Seven. Biden, Pelosi, Cuomo, de Blasio, they all blew it. Unbelievable. By the way, how many of you did really well with that $1.9 trillion tax cut that increased really good shape, right? But guess what? If you elect me, you're not going to have your, your taxes are going to be raised, not cut, if, you're, if you benefit from that. We're going to have a breathtaking opportunity to create good-paying union jobs, to deliver the promise of America to Americans who've been denied it for much too long, to rewrite our economy. So the prosperity flows, not just the CEOs. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. We're going to have an opportunity, I believe, in the next round here to use the my uh, green economy, my, my green deal, or uh, to be able to generate both economic growth and consistent with the kind of infusion of monies we need into the system to keep it going. Three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth 
even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. I would hold ICE agents accountable if, in fact, they stepped over my executive orders, which is no arrest of anyone outside of their school. So how do you no. change the culture? You change the culture by saying you're going to get fired. You're fired. I think that anyone who is in a situation where they're in need of health care, regardless of whether they're documented or undocumented, we have an obligation to see that they're cared for. That's why I think we need more clinics around the country. How exactly would you detain immigrants, if at all, in a Biden administration? The way we did when we reformed the system with the DACA, I would not retain them behind bars. Is that for children, adults and children? Across the board, totally across the board. But I will send to the desk immediately a bill that requires to access to citizenship for 11 million undocumented folks, number one. Number two, in the first 100 days of my administration, no one, no one will be deported at all. From that point on, the only deportations that will take place are commissions of felonies in the United States of America. So, so to be clear, only felons get deported and everyone else Period. has to stay? Yes. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is that... Do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes. Oh, don't we agree? Well, what does redirect mean? Well, that would mean the same thing as defund the police, but let's not call it defunding the police. We're just redirecting. We're reallocating. Anyway, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, hour two, Stephen Miller, by the way, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. So our friend Congressman Devin Nunes of California's 22nd District, I mean, the guy that told America the truth with the whole witch hunt and hoax and Russian narrative and lie and lie and lie and conspiracy theories. I mean, sitting there listening to the compromised, corrupt, congenital liar, Adam Schiff, you can't pay anybody enough money for that job. Um, anyway, he has a it's actually a pamphlet It's called a countdown to socialism. And it is goes into great detail of the nexus between the Democratic Party, the mob and the media and social media corporations and how these three entities literally cooperate to blast out the Democrats talking points and messages. You know, how many times have we pointed out? Well, you know, we just played Joe Biden, for example. And guess what? They haven't covered Joe Biden and how he's frail and weak and, you know, lacking even simple mental awareness and acuity. Uh, they don't he's, he's answered far less than what, 70 questions in the, since March for crying out loud. And they're letting him get away with it. He's the ghost. He's the shadow candidate. Kamala Harris. You can't find her anywhere either. They're not exposing his hypocrisy and flip flopping on coronavirus or flip flopping on fracking or flip flopping on law and order. I mean, he says one thing, then comes out with a totally different thing. Nobody holds him accountable. Anyway, this is what they do. We, they speak. They are one mind. They are one voice. They are all things anti-psychotic rage Trump every minute, second hour of every day. And it's all things united. They even use the same talking points. And we've pointed that out repeatedly. They can't even think of their own different talking points in terms of the media and the radical extreme Democratic Socialist Party. 
54 days, all of this is on the ballot. Devin Nunes joins us right now. Uh, sir, welcome back to the program. And by the way, thank you for telling us the truth. And before we get to this pamphlet, I want to go into a, a question about Durham. Uh, and that is, are we going to see people held accountable for crimes we've long ago established were committed? Well, Sean, thanks, as always, for continuing to be out there on the front line. And, uh, you know, you've been one of the few people that's been there since the beginning. Uh, and as you know, there were very few uh, reporters out there, investigative reporters or opinion guys like you, that were willing to stand up and say, wait a second here, Trump's not a Russian agent. And so, look, we've had one indictment as it relates to Durham. Uh, this is Klein Smith. Klein Smith. There's three other U.S. attorneys uh, that, are, that are investigating parts, some are part of, of this, including the, the Flynn challenges that we have. Uh, so there's a lot going on. Uh, as, as you well know and your listeners, this is a sprawling uh, conspiracy and investigation. It goes from it's not just the Clinton campaign and the Steele dossier and Fusion GPS and the dirty cops of the FBI and DOJ. It's the Department of Defense. Money was flowing to the Department of Defense that was ending somehow, of all places, in Cambridge. What was happening in Cambridge? Oh, they were luring Trump people over to Cambridge so that they could do what? Spy on them. So there is, this is, a, I always have to remind people, there are a lot of people that need to pay a price here. Um, so I'm going to give uh, Durham uh, the benefit of the doubt here. I'm very hopeful that we'll have at least some type of interim report. Uh, I would like to see a couple more indictments, but you know there's there's a lot of people that need need to be indicted here, uh, Sean, as as you well know. I do hear that some have been told that they are targets. Have you heard that rumor as well? <laughs> I don't. You know, there's I, I, you hear from people who claim that they're not targets. Uh, one of the this is this is of interest. Um, we haven't heard from uh, the male lovebird, Mr. Strzok lately, but he has a new book out that he's, uh, he's out hawking. I, I see, he, I noticed he didn't go on your show or, or anywhere on Fox. Oh, I'd be glad to put him on. I didn't even know his stupid book came out. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm sure he wasn't trying to get on Fox, nor would, nor would he go. Uh, but, but the point that I was going to say is that, you know, he's clearly the man in the middle of all of this next, you know, right by Kleinsmith. I mean, him and Page and Kleinsmith, they were all, uh, in the middle of this. Uh, and he, according to him, he hasn't met with Durham. Uh, so that would tell me that if Durham hasn't met with Strzok, uh, that means he, that he's got to be a target. And I just say that just no, no inside information. I would say that Durham's building a case, and they're going to come and meet with Mr. Strzok, and uh, he's the leader of this investigation. He's the one that... How, how does Jim Comey, who signed three of the four FISA applications, that, you know, swearing that... that this document is verified, knowing that it wasn't verified, warned repeatedly it wasn't verified. His own FBI subsource in January of 2017 had confirmed the dossier was total BS, but he was still warned before signing the first FISA application by Bruce Orr, Kathleen Kavlak. How is that not premeditated fraud before a court? Well, the question is, is, is who, what did Comey know and when did he know it? So I, I, I've been kind of saying it this way, is who ordered the kill shot? Who was the one that ordered? Like, we know, this is not a, we know that Obama knew. We know that Biden knew. We know that Susan, Susan Rice knew. We know the whole White House knew about this. Uh, we know that Comey knew. The question is, is who told the, who 
developed this plan, implemented the plan, and made the decision. Who fired the shot to say, okay, we're going to frame the Trump campaign, we're going to go to the FISA court, and that's what Durham has to find out. Um, the fact that these that these that, that Obama these guys knew about it, it's really bad. It's nasty. The American people have a right to know. The media, we you know, we're going to have to continue to push this message across so that pe- the American people understand what happened here. But I want to know. Do you have your who suspicion? Who do you think? Who do you think you know? Look, we don't know. As you know, we've made fourteen criminal referrals, so it runs the gambit. Um, you know, but in terms of we know all the people that were involved. At the end of the day, either some of those guys have to pay a price, like Klein Smith, or they have to tell us who it was that gave the order. Who ordered you to do it? I don't think these guys did it on their own, Sean. And so, you know, the obvious uh, the obvious people would be McCabe was clearly in the know. He's in a position of power. Comey, Brennan, could be somebody at the White House. Uh, those are the people that ultimately Durham has to has to look at, and uh, you know, and I don't buy this uh, notion. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's too close to the election." You know, that's what the mainstream media continues to talk about. Uh, you know, look, I'm sorry, but uh, this is too important to let go. And also, well, I'd like to know Comey, what happened Comey in and 2016 the- before we vote in 2020. Um, I, all right, I let totally me move on. I don't totally want to spend totally all our agree. time together just talking about yep. this. You, you've done a phenomenal service to the country, and it just gets very frustrating on the outside because we know these crimes were committed. There's no ambiguity. The evidence is overwhelming, incontrovertible. These things happen. I got to take a break. More with Devin Nunes. Uh, Hannity.com is the easiest way. If you want to get the link, it's a pamphlet. Very inexpensive. You can get it for five bucks. Uh, the Countdown to Socialism. Uh, Steve Miller, our pollsters also all coming up. Hannity, 9 Eastern tonight. The great one, Mark Levin on the Fox News Channel. All right, as we continue, Devin Nunes, he's created a pamphlet. It's only five bucks called The Countdown to Socialism. And it's on Hannity.com, by the way. The link, it's only five bucks if you want to get a copy. It's really well done. So you bring back the... Well, the great pamphleteer, maybe people don't know this, was Thomas Paine, the author of, you know, Common Sense, 1776. Yeah, that, that's right, Sean. And this is what's so good about this is I made it so it's readily available. Uh, you can read this in one sitting and you can pass it on to your neighbors. And so this is not like your traditional book. This is meant for the everyday person. I mean, like if you follow the Russia hoax, you're going to you're going to enjoy this. But and, and by the way, I need I'm, to tell her, I mean, it's 10 bucks on Amazon.com. So uh, yeah. people can get it on Amazon. I assume it's going to be in bookstores as well. or Yeah, and, and really, uh, you can actually go to Encounter Books, uh, which is the publisher, uh, which is a conservative publishing house, and you can get it for five bucks. So it's even cheaper than that because I want these out and, and, and around. And you know if you're reading it, you're getting the direct word from me, and you're not getting it through Google or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. So it's not being censored and it's not being manipulated. And I feel that we, as conservatives before this election, we have to use every platform that we have uh, in our arsenal to reach these people, Sean, that have been cut off by social media. And that's the main point that I make in this. And, and I, I draw on my experience, not only in California, but through the Russia hoax, of being cut off from, from most of America, where, you know, we, we essentially, and I think that's part of the challenge with, with the Trump campaign, is there's a whole bunch of America that's just now tuning in. And if, they, if they're relying on social media, it's getting tougher and tougher for Trump and Republicans to get our message through. And that's what this is. It's explaining this, 
and attempting to get around it also. Pretty amazing. Um, all right, so it's literally called the Countdown to Socialism. How do you assess the race? Well, I thought we saw a turning point uh, on July 3rd when the president gave a speech at Mount Rushmore. Uh, because of what I talk about in this, in this book, uh, I think it's taken a while for the truth to get its boots on, so to speak. About three weeks ago, we saw some very interesting polling come out of Minnesota. And then I think the telling part, Sean, and you've talked about it a lot, is when Biden emerged from his basement. Clearly, they know they have a problem. They have, they have set fire to this country, both literally and figuratively, tearing down statues of our founding fathers. All of this, the media has tried to cover it up, and the social media companies have done all they can to censor it. But the truth is starting to come out, and I think they have a real problem here. If we can, if the challenge is going to be, is if we can reach everybody, Trump is going to Trump is going to win this election. All right, that's, well, that's what we have we have to get around the the left's propaganda machine. Now, where can you get this for five bucks? You said I, I know you can get it on Amazon.com. Uh, in, where do you get it for five bucks? Encounterbooks.com. Counter and en, en, encounter with an e. Encounterbooks.com. Um, Devin Nunes is a pamphlet, the old pamphleteer, uh, the great Thomas Paine, the great pamphleteer. Um, and, uh, thank you, sir, for being with us. Uh, it's up on Hannity.com, the link there as well. If you want to just go there, make it simple. Uh, 800-941-SEAN is on number. Stephen Miller, the president's advisor for policy, chief speechwriter, will join us in a minute. Also, we have our pollsters coming up today. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow yeah, the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now. There's that, riots. That, in- that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes, it's sir. There's there's videos everywhere girls. online. There's fires and riots. There's th- they're throwing fireworks at uh, federal officers. DHS is there. Look online. It gets crazy, Mr. Nadler. Uh, surplus military equipment for law enforcement. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is that... Do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes, uh, absolutely. One of the things that we also need to be doing is fundamentally changing the way, and I've been pushing it for years, changing the way we deal with our prison system. Oh, okay. There's Joe, like, constantly. Why didn't you fix the criminal justice system? The the 50 years you've been in the swamp, the eight years you were as vice president. You know, why didn't you do, uh, let's see, police reforms after Ferguson and after Baltimore, Cambridge, and every other case? Uh, Why didn't you do any of these things? How is it Joe Biden can actually deny these are peaceful protests and then, you know, talk about, oh, yeah, reallocating uh, funds, you know, reallocating funds, redirecting funds. Excuse me. That's defunding, just like Kamala Harris praising the mayor in Los Angeles, Garcetti, for a hundred and fifty million dollar cut to the police out there. I mean, you look at, oh, OK, these are peaceful protests. No, they're not. You did talk about police become the enemy and. Uh, redirecting funds, Joe. Uh, we, if you look at Joe Biden on the issue of coronavirus, you know, he claims he sounded the alarm. Excuse me, there wasn't a single solitary statement from this guy. 
except for calling Donald Trump's travel ban uh, hysterical xenophobia and fear mongering in January or February. Now, never once talked about the Defense Production Act, social distancing, PPE, ventilators, masks, building temporary hospitals, uh, supporting the travel restrictions. None of that is true. Not a single thing. And everything this guy says now is, well, it doesn't matter what I said yesterday. I'm saying it differently today. And it's it becomes the point in the mob and the media. They're not going to do anything. You have his top advisor, you know, saying I wouldn't ban uh, Chinese travelers from heading into the U.S. Biden. Yeah. Tweets out coronavirus uh, accused the president's hysterical, xenophobic and fear mongering. We don't know exactly know what's going on yet. And he's telling people, oh, stay calm. Not a big deal. Uh, anyway, talked here to talk about the state of the campaign. Oh, he's for fracking until he's against fracking or against fracking until he's for fracking. It's peaceful protest. But no, we, we've got to stop the anarchy like 100 days later. It's pretty unbelievable. Those jobs, they ain't coming back. We're going to bring manufacturing jobs to America. All talk, 50 years of talk. Give me some accomplishments. Uh, Stephen Miller is the senior advisor for policy to the president. By the way, very rare visit on media, and especially this show. I don't know why he's basically just just kind of wiped us out and put us on whatever list that says well, don't call Hannity back. Uh, how are you, sir? Congratulations on the new baby. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And uh, I, I apologize that it's been so long since I've been on, but I'm, a, I'm of the generation where I grew up on Hannity. I don't want to make you feel old. Oh, good but, grief. But I remember. Oh, good I grief. Really? Being, you don't, why don't you just hit school. me while I'm down? Go ahead. <laughs> I remember being a kid in school. I got my first, got my first car, and every day I'd turn on Hannity Radio and I'd listen to it. So uh, a lot of what I believe about the world today I give you credit for helping to shape and inspire. So thank you. And I'll repay the debt by making sure I make myself available to your show more often. Okay. Well, that's a fair deal. I, I tell you, the, the only thing that I want to hear is we can now project that Donald J. Trump has been reelected the uh, 45th president of the United States. The American Amen. people, the ultimate jury. Uh, we just had on Devin Nunes. He has, he's like the great pamphleteer, Thomas Paine. He put out a pamphlet. It's only five bucks. It's on Hannity.com and it's really well done talking about the entities of the Democratic Radical Socialist Party, the media mob, social media corporations, and how those entities blast out this left-wing unity message every second minute hour of every day. Half of it's rage against Trump. The other half of it is how great socialism is. Yeah, I want to be, want to be very clear about something. You played some really important sound in the lead into the segment with Democrats engaging in this extraordinarily explosive and dangerous rhetoric. The most dangerous lie that you're hearing out of the mouths of Democrat leaders, whether it be former Vice President Biden or whether it be the, uh, the folks on the media, CNN, MSNBC, whatever it is, is that somehow Donald Trump, the pro-police, pro-law and order, pro-safety president, is responsible for the behavior of far-left extremists in the streets that support Joe Biden. Let's be very clear about something. This anti-police violence is driven by the anti-police rhetoric coming from liberal politicians. When they slander police, when they lie about cops, when they accuse all cops of being racist, when they accuse America of being a racist country, that's what drives these violent extremists out onto the streets. 
And so if anybody is responsible for this violence, it is solely, solely on the conscience of Democrat politicians who speak these hateful lies. You know, at some point, I, I often asked, OK, with sanctuary city uh, policy uh, and state policies, you know, when they won't even hand over to ICE uh, violent criminals yeah. when they get out of jail and then some people go back to commit more violent crimes all the time. At, at what point do we not say you're aiding and abetting you're in you're facilitating, you know, whatever happens. In other words, you're responsible at what point. When you you refuse to restore law and order, which, by the way, the president's been begging the dopey mayor in New York, the dopey mayor in in Chicago and Portland and in Seattle and elsewhere to accept the help to restore law and order. They just say no. Everywhere the president did go in Kenosha, for example, or Minnesota, for example, or Washington, D.C. Guess what? The city becomes more safe and more secure again. It's not complicated. Exactly. I mean, to take the last point as an example, in Washington, D.C., where fortunately we have uh, federal control of national security issues, in Washington, D.C., when the rioting and looting started and the president sent in the National Guard, it all stopped cold. Lives were saved. Businesses were saved. People were able to go about their lives peacefully without being afraid of getting hit in the head with a brick. And and your other question about the moral culpability of Democrat politicians, it's time that we said this very clearly. Democrats are morally responsible for the lives lost to their sanctuary city policies. When you have a wanted and known criminal in your possession, in your custody, in your local jail, and ICE calls up and says, hey, we've got a guy wanted for rape, wanted for murder, wanted for reckless homicide. He's in your custody. Hand him over. Let's put him in federal cuffs. Let's get him off the streets. And you say, no, hang up the phone and cut him loose. And then he goes and kills somebody or goes and hurts somebody. Yes, that's on you. You're responsible for that. And you should be held responsible for that. You should be voted out of office. And we should also support the Tom Tillis bill that says you could be sued by victims' families for the pain and suffering you cause. I interviewed Horace Lorenzo Anderson Sr. He lost his 19-year-old son in the Chop Chaz Summer of Love Zone out in Seattle. Uh, You know, I I was shocked in the middle of this interview. This poor man lost his 19-year-old precious son, and he's pouring his heart out, and he had never gotten a call from the mayor. Or the governor, the mayor that was promising, oh, this is a spaghetti potluck dinner zone. This is a summer of love zone. And the governor, same thing. Uh, The the poor police had to beg the night he got shot to go in and offer aid. Medical workers, please, we're here to offer medical assistance only. Please let us in. And they didn't want to let him in. And they didn't even bother to pick up the phone. Guess what? He's suing them for three hundred million dollars, and I hope he gets every red, every penny he deserves it. Every, I hope he gets every cent of that. And you know, if you look at the the Democrats' moral culpability for what's happening in Chicago and for what's happening in inner cities all across the country that they've exclusively run for decades. They are the ones whose policies are resulting in thousands of African-Americans, many of them in the prime of their lives, being killed 
that would be completely preventable if they took the Rudy Giuliani playbook and applied it. Rudy Giuliani saved thousands of young black and Hispanic lives in New York with his policies. And you can put those policies in place tomorrow in cities like Chicago or in New York today and save thousands more lives. But they won't do it. So that is 100% on them. And the one other thing I want to say, which is very important, is that these policies will be applied nationwide if the left gets into power. If they get into power, they'll pass federal legislation that says to every city, town, and suburb in America, unless you adopt these policies, you'll get no federal funds. You'll get no federal support, not for your police, not for your roads, not for your bridges. They will use federal extortion to make every city in America bend to this agenda and put these same exact policies in place. No bail, cutting police funding, springing loose criminals, sanctuary cities, you name it. That's what's at stake. Well, I call it a preview of coming attractions if uh, in 54 days, God forbid, Joe Biden uh, becomes president and Kamala becomes uh, vice president. You were there in 2016. You've been with the president from pretty early on. You've been mm-hmm. there. You're still there. Um, how do you assess this race versus what we saw in 2016? Well, the enthusiasm level from our voters is higher than it's ever been because they understand what's at stake. And people that are listening to your program, that are learning every day about what's happening out there in this country, are extremely motivated. They're extremely informed. They're ready to get out and support this president and do what's right for our country. But I always say you need plus five. You need your base plus five. Suburban women. I mean, the polls are very promising with African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans. I mean, amazing with with our Latino and Hispanic communities. You've seen that in Florida. And I'll tell you one reason why for that, in my view. I believe that you have a lot of immigrant families that came here in search of the American dream. And they're looking at the liberal agenda on policing and saying, you're trying to replicate the same failed experiments that I've seen in the countries our ancestors came from right here in America. We know what it's like to come from countries that don't have strong police departments. We know what it's like to come from countries where you can't be safe walking down the street. We know what it's like to come from countries where you have socialism and communism and Marxism. And they're saying they don't want anything to do with that. And that's why I think you see our numbers surging with Latino voters. All right, Steve Miller, uh, he serves as the senior policy advisor uh, to the president, also probably the president's chief uh, uh, speechwriter. You're still involved in the speeches, I assume, right? I know you have a department at this point. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to lend my services whenever and wherever <laughs> they're needed. Whenever, wherever needed. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Stephen Miller. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Our pollsters, John McLaughlin and Matt Towery, at the top of the hour, News Roundup Information Overload Hour. Your call's also coming up. The great one on Hannity tonight, 9 uh, Eastern. All right, our pollsters, when we come back, 800-941-SHAWN. We have a minute, though, in this segment. You know what we're going to do? We're going to give it to Bill in North Carolina. Bill, you get the final minute this hour. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Um, I just had a comment, Sean, about the uh, uh, Bob Woodward book you know, coming out where uh, Trump is standing just saying, oh, you know, I knew what it was, but I was kind of playing it down a little bit. And I think as a father, I've got two young girls. If I have one of my daughters laying on the couch and she's got a 100-degree fever, I don't go over and take a temperature and say, oh, my God, two more degrees and you're going to die. Or, or, you know, and you see this all the time in the movies or, or God forbid, a car accident. Somebody's laying there and you know they're dying. You see it. And they look at you and you're like, you're going to be okay. Just hang in there. Don't, don't, don't panic. You're going to be okay. Nobody, nobody does that. And that's exactly what would happen. If, if Trump would have said something about, 
you know, my God, this is terrible. This is going to be uh, unbelievable. Could you imagine people running out to the stores trying to buy food or water or different things like that, just like we do for a hurricane? I mean, it's sort of like what I said yesterday. And, and, you know, think about this. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Set off a panic? You know, after, it, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, what? In the middle of uh, poverty, unemployment, massive loss of life savings? No, you, you build confidence and, and believe in the people and lift them up. Um, which the president was doing while simultaneously his actions showed the seriousness in which he took coronavirus, which Joe never did, nor did any other Democrat. Such a good point. Bill, North Carolina, will be watching your state closely early in the evening in 54 days. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free number. Our posters when we get back. Some have speculated sir, that, that you that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline. Have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline? I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. We the people, we hold these truths, etc. Sounds corny, but it's real. Because now you say, by the way, are you going to stick with the president on the following president, the last guy on this issue? I have more people supporting me in the black community that announced for me because they know me. They know who I am. Three former chairs of the Black Caucus, the only African-American woman that ever been elected to the United States Senate. A whole range of people. No, My point no, is, that's not true. The other that's one is true. here. <laughs> I said the first. I, what I propose is, is it can be done. I think we're in a position to, to really make it happen. And my team and your team are already working closely together in light, to light up the path forward here. Critical laws like the PRO Act to strengthen collective bargaining on politics like prevailing and pro, look, I guess I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm t- taking too much time, but you know. Back in the, in the spring, late fall, early, I mean late, Spring, late winter, early fall, early, anyway, you know what I mean. So we can chip in and support those who listen to this. Chip in and support our campaign. Text Joe 23. Excuse me, I got to get this right. At, at the, the medical, medical school, school, or not, I, I guess, guess I wasn't actually, actually on the campus, campus but, but the people from the medical school were right there. I, I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure whether it's a medical school or where the hell I spoke. I'm sorry, who was I supposed to go to next? Anybody who... He's saying that it was president, my boss. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the goal. You know the, you know the thing. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say? All right, news roundup, information overload, and that, of course, uh, Joe Biden, the ever-confused one, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, Joining us are posters to weigh in on the state of the race. 54 short days before you are the ultimate jury. Poster Matt Towery, poster John McLaughlin. Uh, Welcome both of you to the show. John, we'll start with you this week. The state of the race as we see it now. We see some good poll numbers in, for example, a lot of the swing states. From Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina. But 
I'm the person that believes you got to act like you're down by six. You got two minutes to go in the game. You got to march down the field 80 yards. You have no timeouts. You got to cross the plane and kick the, kick the extra point to win. That's my thinking. Well, you're you're absolutely right, and that's what the Trump campaign is doing. And and you know you can, there are plenty of good polls out there. Like even the Marist College poll has this tied in Florida. We're probably a little ahead right now. And uh, uh, when you look at when you look at these other battleground states, because the national polls don't matter as much as the battleground states. Susquehanna College has this within two. Uh, Matt's old firm had us uh, uh, up, you know, in Georgia. So we're winning the battleground states, and this has really been going on since before the Democrat conventions. It's really the president was trending up since Joe Biden signed on to that socialist uh, manifesto with uh, Bernie Sanders, picked Kamala Harris, San Francisco liberal, their, their negative convention. You're seeing the rise of crime around the country uh, because of what we said was wrong with def- defunding the police. So President, President Trump has had a really good month where we've been trending up. And now, more so than any poll, you can tell by the movements of the Joe Biden campaign, where, yes, they absolutely they were trying to get the president not to go to Kenosha. He went to Kenosha. Two days later, Joe Biden follows him to Kenosha. And then last Friday, they were launching uh, the diversion with uh, uh, the Atlantic story that had no basis, uh, saying that President Trump uh, disparaged uh, uh you know, uh, veterans, et cetera. And it wasn't true, proven not to be true. But they did that on purpose to cloud the fact that the unemployment rate had dropped to 8.4 percent and Donald Trump has the country moving forward. And now you've got this Woodward book coming out precisely because the president's focus and the daily stop on the uh, spread of the coronavirus, his briefings, et cetera, the coronavirus is, 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 is in check. Uh, we're succeeding there. And the vaccine is, is moving forward uh, in the tests. There might be a, a pause in the AstraZeneca one, but the other companies are moving forward with it. So they're looking at this and they're saying Joe Biden's losing. And now Joe Biden's back on the road reading from a teleprompter instead of his basement, precisely because they know Donald Trump is winning. But we have to keep and, – and by the way, they're going to get nasty. The press is going to get even nastier. But it's a sign that we're moving forward and it's a sign that – Donald Trump is 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 winning in the polls, but but we've got 55 days to go, and we got to run like we're an underdog again. Matt Towery, if you listen to the mob, the media, the Democrats, Rhino Republicans, uh, it is it is a full focus every second minute hour of every day to prevent Donald Trump from winning. Yeah, and it's why you have to run like you're a touchdown down, and you're you've got you know. 30 seconds on the clock. I mean, this situation is such, I I agree totally with John. I think the president has come up in the polls. The polls, as we've said ad nauseum, are not correct. They don't uh, account for a good number of people who won't say that they're Trump supporters. They also don't account for likely voters. Uh, There are all kinds of problems with the polls, just like in 2016. That said, let me give you an anecdote that causes me some concern. So I live now in Pinellas County, which is St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Florida. It's part of the I-4 quarter, which is considered to be the swing area for all of Florida. It decides which way Florida goes. Florida is considered to be the swing state. So I'm at my humble little home here in Florida, enjoying myself over the Labor Day weekend. I watch television. I watch golf. I watch this. I watch the other. Um, I'm on every station you can imagine, surfing the Internet, looking on YouTube for funny things. 
everything I ran into was a Biden commercial. I didn't see a single Trump commercial in the I-4 corridor county of Pinellas the entire weekend. Now, maybe they were running at some other household, but I was pretty active and couldn't find anything. So I think that we're, we're seeing the president do well. His performance is fantastic. But whoever decided to let up on the, on the gas on, on digital and television during the Labor Day weekend, it, you'll see it in the polls. In fact, the NBC poll that came out today shows uh, Trump down four or five in Florida versus the one that came out yesterday that showed that he was tied. So you can't let up in a race like this. And I think that goes to your point, um, Sean, because this thing could slip away. It's not a guarantee that the momentum is going to get us over the top. And we got to make sure that the president gets to debate as well, because I've been saying they're going to find a way to get Biden out of these debates. He simply cannot debate, given the sort of intro that we heard to your own show. Well, I mean, I think he's probably going to be drinking a lot of coffee that day. And I'm sure that he's been practicing in his basement bunker. And, you know, if he survives it without any major gaffe, he won. He won. You know how the media is going to react. And maybe expectations are so low at this point, John McLaughlin, that, you know, I mean, if he just doesn't fall flat on his face, it's going to be considered he, he can be president. He can be president. Meanwhile, he's been hiding forever. And, you know, the idea uh, can manufactured uh, a manufactured PR uh, campaign building Biden into something he is not be that effective. It would swing the election as Matt is concerned about. Well, I think there is a concern because uh, the mainstream media is is really opposed to this president. And by the way, we put up a, a number. We put it on our website on McLaughlinOnline.com a week ago where uh, this was done for our monthly omnibus poll that uh, we put out for our subscribers, not for the campaign. But it says if Joe Biden were to win the election for president, he would be 78 years old when he was sworn in and 82 at the end of his term. How likely would it be that his running mate, Kamala Harris, would be president before the end of Joe Biden's four-year term? 66% of all voters said likely. 27%, only 27% said not likely. So the expectation level here from voters is that he's really too old to be president, and there is a number of voters who are saying he doesn't have the, the, the mental capacity, the dementia, so they're lowering their expectations so low for Biden, that you're right, you know, just like the convention, once he was able to read from a teleprompter for 20 minutes, the press was effusive and they said, this guy's great, he's doing a wonderful job, and his numbers went up slightly after, the, you know, after his speech. But in the debate, they've lowered the expectations so much that, you know, for an hour and a half, he can perform. I mean, he was certainly... But your poll is suggesting that America sees him in cognitive decline. Is America yes. going to vote for somebody that they believe, based on your polling, what you put up last week, is in cognitive decline? They may, because the press will say it's good enough. And and the other part is they're really running down the president right now with these multiple stories, whether it's uh, whether it's just, it was the trip to Europe and going to the cemetery in Normandy, or the, whether it's Woodward's book or Michael Cohen's book. You've got the media trying to divert away from the issues and the president's successful record and his agenda for the second term, which is very popular, so that they can get into this constant character attack that the focus is not on Biden. And now Biden, I think he'll be able to perform for an hour and a half in the debates because he did so multiple times in the primary and he did fine. And even Kamala Harris, when she had her moment against him, Biden recovered from that. So 
you know, setting the expectations so low here is a big problem. Plus, there's the Biden voters, they'll tell you what they don't like about him is that he's too old. What the, what the Trump voters will say is they think he has dementia. They don't think he's able to perform. But he'll be able to be president. So that's a, a, lot of, that's a it, big shift. And whether you're voting for him or not, you know, I, I see no enthusiasm. And then you could talk more to the I-4 corridor, Matt, because you're down there in Florida. And you're right that the I-4 corridor usually defines the winner in any state election in, in, in your great state. I would assume you're seeing a lot of Trump supporters. We see all of these, you know, huge boat rallies that are happening organically. Twenty five thousand people show up in Winston-Salem for the president at, a, at an airport hangar. Uh, I can't see Biden get hardly anybody showed up for a Biden event. There were more Trump people there than Biden people. Well, I think the enthusiasm gap is significant and it's in the president's favor. And I believe there is a hidden vote. that's going to be a, a tidal wave. But here's the problem to go to to the points that both of you made earlier. I mean, let's talk about, for example, his cognitive ability. When you have the deep state leaking out a quote unquote dispatch saying that the Russians are somehow trying to promote the concept that, that Biden has cognitive difficulties. Really? The Russians? Are we going to blame that on the Russians as well? But that's the sort of nonsense. And the, the average person who hears that says, oh, our own government says that Russia's pushing this, not the Republicans, not, not people who can see or listen and see the fact that the man's having a difficulty. And by the way, I don't think he can do, I don't think Biden can survive three debates with, with President Trump. I don't think it's humanly possible. And I don't think they think they can do it either, but that's a subject for another day. All of that said, yes, there's tremendous enthusiasm for the president, but we have to have our base turn out. And one of our bases that's been tepid right now are the people who are 65 and older. We've got, and you have to get to them through digital and cable. They're not watching boat parades. They're not out doing these other things, at least the, 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 the older you get. So we've got to be able to get to them with very specific messages. Right now, there's a message from Biden that says the president's going to destroy your Social Security. Every Democrat running against an incumbent Republican has done that since I started in politics back in the Reagan years in 1980. But it is, it, it's going to work if we don't counter it. And if there's not a counter that explains what the president's done to help 401ks, um, IRAs, and also the fact that he wants to preserve Social Security. He's not proposing in any way to hurt their Social Security. But we've got to counter that because people sitting at home, if you're a shut-in or you can't get out because of this pandemic, you don't hear that message. You just hear the media beating him up every day, always on the offense against Donald Trump. You know, I think that's a good point. Why wouldn't the Trump campaign be up uh, forcefully with their ads? I, I think they've got cash on hand. I read something around $300 million, uh, John McLaughlin. Well, that's 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 beyond my department, but I'm sure there. I'm right now. I'm sure you know they might have been light over the Labor Day weekend because of the reduced audience. But I agree with Matt. Where I'm, I'm sure they're up now, and I'm sure there's plenty of ads going up, and uh, uh, they they definitely they definitely have a message to push. So I don't think there's. And you heard the president yesterday said if he had to, he was gonna he was gonna put in his own money up to a hundred million dollars. So they will have the money in there, and hopefully Matt will start seeing seeing some more of the Trump campaign ads. So, uh, um, so they're doing it, but they're playing offense, and, and you know, might be the programs that you know he might not be watching your show, show at night, Sean. So that's what it could be. Well, so, uh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. But the, I guess the next thing is now they're they're well, we're not going to concede, and and Hillary Clinton is saying, yeah, you should never concede, and they're planning you know, war games in terms of battling for the election. Joe's going to not win on Election Day, but he'll win in the days and weeks after. 
Uh, that's a little scary. We have about 20 seconds, uh, 10 seconds each, Matt. Yeah, and I do think they intend to drag this thing out. They're getting, they're lawyering up, as we say. This thing is going to drag on and on. Yeah, last word, John, quick. Four years ago, we were afraid they were going to try to steal it. Now we know they're going to try to steal it. So scary. So that's what's going on. John, Matt, thank you both. Quick break. When we come back, straight to the phones, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, don't forget, live free or die, 40% off Amazon.com. All right, live free or die, America, the world on a brink, 40% off Amazon.com. And also uh, Costco's Walmart, Target, uh, Books of Million, Barnes & Noble. Um, Glad when anyone can get a discount on anything. I'm a smelly, smart Walmart Trump supporter shopper. Um, all right, I want to go back to something that we, we touched on in the last hour. We spent a lot of time on this, and that is this whole, quote, controversy over, you know, Bob Woodward, the comments that the president made to Bob Woodward. Now, you got to put, you know, everything has context and texture, doesn't it? There is a reality. There's a truth to everything. And the truth is, is that nobody advised Donald J. Trump to put the travel ban in effect January 31st of this year from China. uh, And, of course, the quarantine in place because one we haven't had in 50 years in place. And he was excoriated by the likes of Biden as being, let's see, hysterical xenophobia, fear mongering. That's what he said. Um, His top advisor. Ron Klain is his name regarding coronavirus actually said that China has been more transparent and candid than it has been during other outbreaks. Listen to this. I think what you have to say about China is it's been more transparent and more candid than it has been during past outbreaks. A lie. Now, we had Peter Schweitzer on earlier this week. And what do we know about Biden and China? Uh, They own the Bidens. How do you think zero experience Hunter got the one point five billion dollar deal with the Bank of China? And here's here's Ron Klain saying that the travel ban, uh, you know, he would not ban travel, which, by the way, Joe didn't ban travel. Listen to this. Would you ban Chinese travelers from arriving in the United States? I wouldn't. I think that's premature. I wouldn't. I think that's premature. Well, turns out that it wasn't so premature. And then he actually admitted. Now, remember, we went through the history of H1N1. That was a virus that impacted younger people more than older people. I mean, it's weird how these viruses work. Um, Remember, while they had, I think it was Kathleen Sebelius at the time, a health and human uh, services secretary, you know, make a rallying call. They did not. By the time they finally did call this an, an emergency, it was, what, six months later. I mean, they were so late to the game. And Ron Klain even admits this in this new audio that we found where they did pretty much everything wrong and just got lucky that this was not a mass casualty event. Listen, I was in the White House in 2009, 2010. I was working for Vice President Biden. I wasn't involved directly in the H1N1 response, but I I lived through it as a White House staffer. And what I will say about it is uh, a bunch of really talented, really great people working on it. And we did every possible thing wrong. And it's, you know, 60 million Americans got H1N1 uh, in that period of time. And it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. Had nothing to do with us doing anything right. Just had to do with luck. Just had to do with luck. Well, this has been the worst pandemic worldwide since 1917 and 18. And even Biden has said that himself, interestingly. 
Um, but it's now a lie. Donald Trump's actions 10 days after the first identified case of coronavirus show how seriously he took the issue earlier than anybody else, including and very specifically Joe Biden, who now is trying to convince America that he sounded the alarm about coronavirus when he would not have. He called the the travel ban stupid and xenophobic and hysterical and fear mongering. And then we played the tape yesterday that, you know, Joe Biden is out there saying, oh, listen, you know, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay." blah, blah, blah. He never talked about, let's see, in January or February about social distancing, the Defense Production Act, the increased production of PPE ventilators, setting up hospitals, implementing travel bans. Even then, he didn't do any of that. So Joe Biden, like everything else that is Joe Biden, is a lie. Joe Biden, I never said I'm against fracking. He said it n- numerous times. He was against fracking. I never said uh, to, we should defund the police. Okay, you said redirect funds if we're going to be technical. I never said police become the enemy. Well, the tape proves otherwise. Uh, you know, all of these things. I, I, I find this, you know, the idea, this is what the mob does. They allow him to get away with the most outrageous things. No, now he's for manufacturing jobs. Really? Okay, because him and Obama said those jobs ain't coming back. And if you look at it in particular, you know, he's gotten away with, you know, years-long support of the Iraq war. Now he changes his mind. Uh, he was proven to be a liar on participation in the civil rights movement. Uh, it was actually the Obama-Biden administration. Remember the whole kids in cages video was from their years. His opposition to get even bin Laden, he was against the raid. You know, every single one of these issues, all he does is flip, flop, and flail. Uh, Biden handlers, you know, published an op-ed in USA Today on January 27th. Their Washington Post fact checker, it didn't say that it was a pandemic, only it was a possibility. Um, Ron Klain, who I just played for you, he's against the travel ban. Biden's against the travel ban. You know, stop panicking and being hysterical, he was telling people. At the time, Trump was taking it seriously and putting that travel ban in effect. Uh, you know, speaking in Iowa, January 31st, the day Trump put that travel ban in effect, you know, he brought up the coronavirus and, and suggested the president is not acting rationally. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, you know, and the list goes on from there. And he was out there repeatedly. And so were people in his campaign, especially this guy, this idiot, Ron Klain. You know, we, we, we don't have a COVID-19 epidemic in the U.S., but we're starting to see a, see a fear epidemic. That's what he was saying February 13th. You know, Biden, Public Health Advisory Committee member Zeke Emanuel, many of the experts are saying, well, the warm weather is going to come just like with the flu. The coronavirus is going to go down and may move into the southern hemisphere. Wrong again. They didn't get anything right. You know, uh, uh, Biden tweeting, well, a wall's not going to stop the coronavirus, banning all travel from Europe or any other part of parts of the world. He said that March 12th. That's how wrong he's been. You know, he was holding uh, in-person rally indoors in Michigan in, in mo- the middle of March. Uh, going on, for example, further saying in on March 18th, I guess I'm appearing on CNN in the middle of March. 
you know, encouraging people to vote in person on March 17th in response to the president's tweet about the very early decision to close the borders with China. You know, March 18th, he said, stop the xenophobic fear mongering. April 2nd, he said the upcoming Wisconsin primary would include in-person voting because a convention having tens of thousands of people in one arena is very different than having people walk into a polling booth. Whoopsie daisy. The uh, Democratic National Convention has been pushed back and and uh, public health officials say it's important to uh, to stay home at this time. Well, the answer is I listen to the scientists. Uh, a convention having tens of thousands of people in one arena is very different than having people walk into a polling booth with uh, accurate spacing to six to ten uh, feet apart, one at a time going in and have machines scrubbed down. Um, But I do think there are going to be a lot more. I think you could hold the election as well, dealing with mail-in ballots and uh, same-day registration. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done. That's for the Wisconsin courts and folks to decide. But I think it's possible to do both. Oh, they started that game early on. Remember, they withheld funding for businesses and and Americans out of work that needed the help desperately. You know, there is a um, there's a piece out uh, which I found pretty interesting sourcing the the Cato Institute because he's running around fabricating statistics, claiming that the president's coronavirus response resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of Americans, which Biden claimed could have been prevented if tougher restrictions were imposed sooner. Um, I don't know where the script writers get their little fantasy figures, but they're just lying. The projections in mid-March that if the U.S. failed to implement a nationwide program, including social distancing, self-isolation, limitations on travel and other restrictions, that 2.2 million Americans would die. Now, that was the number from Britain's most respected epidemiologist that persuaded the Trump administration to encourage the states to implement this full-blown economic lockdown. That's what the president was told in the middle of March. 2,200,000 dead Americans. Now, if the president reacted the way that Obama Biden did during the swine flu, which is basically do nothing, and they just got lucky, as Biden's health guy said, Nancy Pelosi, you know, February 24th, come to Chinatown. It's fine. Uh, Governor Cuomo, excuse our arrogance as New Yorkers. Uh, We don't think that this is going to be as bad as other countries. We have the best health care system in the world. And, you know, he said that in March. Comrade de Blasio urging people to come into the city in the middle of March. Good grief. Just such a lie. The mob and the media would know better. All right, let's get a couple of calls in here. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, as we say hi to Lourdes, is in Florida. Lourdes, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Thank you, Sean, for taking my call, and thank you for being the voice of the people and sounding the alarm, sounding the huge alarm that we're going through in our country. I'm a Cuban-American. I came from Cuba, obviously, four days before my seventh birthday in 1959, and I'm living now what... I lived when I was six years old because the elections in Cuba took place in January and in December and in November, we were suffering one statues of Jose Marti being taken down, fires being set in different parts of our suburbs. And in addition to that, I was with my mother in December at one of the finest 
I could say, stores. Um, and these two thugs came in, raising their fists and saying, everybody has to say, this is Viva Fidel, Viva. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's like a now Long live that. Fidel Castro, the, the murdering dictator. And, uh, yes. and murdering is right. He murdered my uncle. My mm-hmm. uncle, my father was an industrialist. He had a few companies in Cuba because he believed in entrepreneur. He believed in entrepreneurship. He went to Belen with Fidel Castro and knew that he was a socialist from every side of him. And I still remember that the many of his industries that he had, he, Fidel Castro asked him for money you know, to start the revolution. And my father said, absolutely, positively, no, because they knew each other from school. However, my father being an entrepreneurship, he's known people like David Rockefeller here. Uh, He started Antillana de Acero, which David Rockefeller from the United States had told him about the, um, taught him more or less from Bethlehem Steel, We had a lot of iron ore resources in Cuba, and as I said, he used Cuba to try to expand and uh, be better economically and give more jobs like, I, you know, we needed. But there was a sense in November and December with everything that was happening that there was a big fear of what this man was going to do in January, which he did. He did. He came down from the Sierra Maestra in January, and he took over everything. He took over all of my father's industries. He took over my my. See, own. let me let me let me explain because I'm I'm going to have to run here, and I don't want to cut you short. But I give you, I want to give you an answer. This is the history of socialism. This is what it does. It promise everything. And we're going to take from this group of people and redistribute it to that group of people. And they never fulfill the promises. It always fails. But in the name of false security and promises that will never be met, people buy into the great lies and they lose their freedom. That's at stake in 54 days. Live free or die. That's why I call my book. America and the world on the brink of the... All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Please say your DVR, Hannity, 9 Eastern, Fox News Channel. Uh, loaded up, we have, uh, well, the, Lawrence is with the president in his rally in Michigan. The great one, Mark Levin tonight. Senator Lindsey Graham tonight on the, all this breaking news. Oh, yeah, they cleaned all the phones in Mueller's office. Wow. Uh, Pete Hegseth, Dan Bongino, Geraldo, Leo, Herschel Walker. 9 Eastern, set your DVR. We'll see you tonight on Hannity. And we'll be back tomorrow with only 53 days to go till you are the ultimate jury. Have a great night. See you tonight. Back here tomorrow.